0: Today, The Matt Wall Show, Hunter Biden will not be facing any prison time for any of his numerous federal crimes. This is just the latest proof that the justice system effectively no longer exists in this country. In fact, all of our major institutions have destroyed themselves from within, which is why Americans are losing trust in our institutions at a record rate. We'll talk about all of that today. Also, an activist judge swoops in to save the day for trans activists yet again, this time declaring that a law in Arkansas banning child mutilation is unconstitutional, Plus, five people on a small submersible go missing on a mission to survey the wreckage of the Titanic. For some reason, lots of people on social media are happy about the misfortunes of these adventures. Why? We'll talk about that. And in our daily cancellation, an author pulls her own book from publication because it offended the peanut gallery for the dumbest reason imaginable. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like forgetting to turn off your camera on Zoom and everyone sees you picking your nose or doing something embarrassing. Uh, Internet service providers, they know every single website you visit. They can sell this information to ad tech companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. ExpressVPN reroutes your network data through a secure encrypted tunnel so your service providers can't see or sell your online activity. I love ExpressVPN because it's so simple to use. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're good to go. Plus, it, it works on phones, laptops, and even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. Your data is your business. Protect it at expressvpn.com Walsh right now to get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com Walsh to get protected right now. expressvpn.com Walsh. One thing the Biden administration wants you to know is that it takes enforcing the law very seriously. It is a defender of the rule of law, we are told. And it's especially devoted to the law when it comes to gun crime, supposedly. This is something that Biden takes very seriously. In fact, Biden's DOJ proudly promotes its handling of gun cases on its website as part of a much larger initiative, which is supposedly intended to combat gun violence. They want you to believe that lying on federal gun forms is a very serious crime. That's why earlier this year, the ATF put out a statement entitled... Federal prosecutors aggressively pursuing those who lie in connection with firearm transactions. It's also why a few weeks ago, Democrats in Congress held hearings featuring anti-gun activists like uh, Rob Wilcox. And that hearing was derailed, though, when a congressman asked Wilcox a simple and obvious question. Why isn't Hunter Biden going to prison, given that he lied on a federal form about his drug use and his Navy discharge to obtain a firearm? Democrats in the hearing room didn't like that question very much. Watch. If a person lies on Form 4473 and and is a user of unlawful drugs, um, you can get between 5 to 10 years for that, is that correct? Is that my understanding?
1: No, I I believe Congress changed the uh, sentence uh, last Congress.
0: Uh, What is that sentence now? Up to 15. Up to 15 years. Uh, Why hasn't Hunter Biden been prosecuted for the crime that he committed? I'm not aware of the facts of that case and can't comment on it. Okay, who do we talk to to see why this uh, case is not being prosecuted? I mean, he said very clearly in his book that he used drugs. He had uh, a gun, at least a gun. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. State your point of order.
2: Totally irrelevant and not germane to this proceeding. Uh,
0: Sir, he's got his he's got his five minutes. Go ahead, (laughs) continue. Okay. I understand why um, you do not want Mr. Wilcox to answer that question It's very clear why you don't want because there's a dual system of justice in America. That's what's going on right now. And everybody's talking about it across America. There's two standards of justice that are um, that are going on. Two standards of justice, he says. And well, he was proven right, of course. By now, you've probably heard how the Biden DOJ managed to square this circle. Yesterday, after a five-year criminal investigation, the DOJ announced that unlike Ray and Juan and Eddie, Hunter will not go to prison for a year for lying on a federal gun form. In fact, he won't even spend a day in prison. Instead, Hunter Biden will go into a diversion program. And that's remarkable, not just because it's an obviously unfair result, but also because diversion programs like that, according to the DOJ's own guidelines, are unavailable to any defendant who has ever brandished a firearm while committing a felony. And as National Review has reported publicly available videos from Hunter Biden's laptop, quote, show him brandishing the weapon while high on crack cocaine, which is also a felony. Needless to say, Hunter Biden was never charged with brandishing his firearm or smoking crack. He also wasn't charged with reckless endangerment after his handgun wound up in a trash bin across the street from a high school, even though that seems like a pretty big public safety risk. Senator Mike Lee noted that prosecutors could have easily brought these cases and probably many others, quote, evidence supported other charges that would have rendered him presumptively ineligible for diversion. But the DOJ buried all of that. The DOJ also let Hunter Biden off the took on tax evasion. He's getting no jail time for failing to pay taxes for two years. Several former assistant U.S. attorneys, including Andrew Weissman and Renato Mariotti, think that all this checks out, quote, these charges are rarely brought, Mariotti wrote on Twitter yesterday. He said, he added, quote, if anything, it looks like Hunter Biden received harsh treatment. Well, it took all of like five minutes for journalist Mike Cernovich to debunk that by citing Renato Mariotti's own work, including the time Mariotti pursued a five-year prison sentence for defendants who failed to pay taxes on less than $2 million in income. And that was not an unusual case. The typical sentence for tax fraud offenders, according to the DOJ's own statistics, is over 16 months in prison. And these are often people who, unlike Hunter Biden, didn't abuse the public's trust by selling a politician's influence overseas. Now, we're not going to spend any more time on the hypocrisy that's on display in Hunter Biden's case. We're not going to go into how, on his first day in office, Joe Biden put a, a law partner of Hunter Biden's defense attorney in charge of the criminal division of the DOJ. We could spend all day talking about stuff like that. The special treatment couldn't be more obvious. So there's no point belaboring it. Like We all see it. What's what's really interesting, though, is that if you dig a little deeper, this story is much bigger than Hunter Biden. And indeed, it's, it's much bigger than politics. And if you doubt that, watch this report from ABC's top Washington correspondent. Pay close attention to how the reporter contradicts himself in real time, apparently without realizing it. Watch.
2: These issues of conflict of interest and and playing off his name and the Biden family name will be investigated uh, by by Congress, uh, by Republicans in Congress, um, and and the issue is not going away.
1: But doesn't this show, Carl, that Biden is not in the pocket of the DOJ? I mean yes and again it depends
2: on so so how do you look at it Do you look at it and you say look they prosecuted anyway his son now has a criminal record yes that shows uh that that it would seem to show there was no interference he didn't pull the plug on the investigation Uh he didn't order his attorney general to pull the plug on the investigation but what republicans will say is that this didn't look at the bigger more serious allegations there are significant concerns about hunter biden's business dealings you know he has uh, the, the contract that he had uh, with with the ukrainian energy company also his business dealings in china i mean one of the details that we reported earlier they were looking into that's just so strange uh he was given hunter biden was given a 2.8 carat diamond uh from a a chinese business associate i mean what what
0: what's it all about we, we don't know Now, if you can filter out the dumb talking points from uh, The View lady about how all this totally vindicates the DOJ, then that's actually a fascinating clip. The senior Washington correspondent at ABC News begins by explaining that there's no evidence whatsoever that the Biden family is corrupt. But he ends the segment by admitting there's something fishy about that fat diamond that somehow found its way from China into Hunter Biden's possession. Later, he goes on to concede that it's weird that Biden was making tens of thousands of dollars a month for a no-show job at a Ukrainian energy company and selling his paintings for ludicrous sums of money to unknown foreign buyers, etc. Now, put aside whatever you think of the politics of all this. Maybe you love Hunter Biden for some reason. I don't know. Ask yourself this, though. What's the effect on millions of Americans watching a news report as incoherent and poorly conceived as that one? It's not just fraudulent reporting. It's obviously fraudulent reporting. Even if you're a diehard Democrat, that has to resonate with you for the wrong reasons. It's not just that the DOJ is cutting the president's son a break. What we're seeing, what's now undeniable, is that the media apparently is so inept that they can't even lie about it properly. Even ABC's highest ranking correspondent in Washington just can't pull it off to save his life. This gets to a a much broader issue, which is a lot bigger than Hunter Biden. and that, That issue is the level of trust Americans have in the core institutions of this country. Every poll shows that the trust is plummeting, and it's not hard to see why. Everywhere you look, you're being subjected to propaganda that would make North Korean state media blush. They're treating you like you're a complete idiot. It's relentless. Just hours and just hours after the DOJ announced that Hunter Biden won't face any punishment for violating federal law, numerous federal laws, the Pentagon revealed that yet another accounting error means that we get to, we get to spend $6 billion more in Ukraine because of an accounting error. Imagine that. And on top of that, also on the very same day that the the DOJ announced Hunter Biden wouldn't go to prison, we learned that the plan is to put Donald Trump on trial prior to the 2024 election. How is CNN covering that? Well, they ran this headline, quote, another historic week in the investigation and prosecution of Donald Trump. Contrast that with another CNN headline from this week on the same kind of prosecution happening in Russia, quote, Russian opposition leader faces decades behind bar as new trial starts. Translation, it's good when we throw our opposition leaders in jail. It's bad when Russia does it. Well, if it's hard to believe that anyone's falling for this anymore, that's because no one is falling for it anymore, or at least very few people. Every major institution in this country now flaunts the norms they pretended for so long to care about. And that matters because the uh, quote-unquote democratic system that the left pretends to deeply cherish doesn't work. If the people lose all trust and faith in the system itself, if nobody believes any of this or believes in any of this, it all falls apart. People notice when the authorities imprison good Samaritans like Daniel Penny, even as arsonists and rapists go free. They notice when the DOJ sends a SWAT team to raid the home of a father who protected his child from an abortion clinic volunteer while totally failing to investigate attacks on Christian pregnancy centers. Breakdowns in trust often begin in the political world in response to obvious hypocrisy like this, but the harm transcends the political world very quickly. Pretty soon you have no norms left of any kind whatsoever. For years, we've been witnessing in slow motion the destruction of any integrity in the fields of medicine and public health. And this week, very publicly, it came to a head. Now we're told that vaccine scientists shouldn't debase themselves by debating skeptics on Joe Rogan's podcasts. You know, you have guys like Tom Nichols and others, people in the establishment, media. They've been arguing for days that the the credibility of the medical field would be diminished if experts engaged in these kinds of spectacles started lowering themselves to the point of debating non-experts on podcasts. But the medical field's credibility is already diminished to the point of non-existence. Like nobody trusts it anymore. That's what happens when you forcibly inject a drug into millions of people's bodies while lying about its efficacy. And when you castrate and sterilize children while claiming that it's a life saving procedure. It's what happens when the entire medical field solemnly declares out of nowhere that men can get pregnant. The guy who's refusing to debate RFK Jr. on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast is named Peter Hotez. He's supposedly a preeminent vaccine expert, the media tells us, but on every major issue, concerning vaccines and COVID over the past two years, Hotez hasn't just been wrong, he's been crazy. In April of 2021, for example, he wrote in a Nature magazine that anti-vaccine groups in the United States are linked to Russia and need to be shut down. Quote, the United Nations and the highest levels of government must take direct, even confrontational approaches with Russia and move to dismantle anti-vaccine groups in the United States. And back in June of 2020, Hotez appeared on MSNBC to explain Why it's okay to protest for BLM in the middle of a pandemic, he said, quote, it's not so simple to just say that protests will bring back COVID. He said he added that, uh, quote, structural racism causes three times higher COVID-19 death rates in the African-American population. Hotez wasn't the only scientist to say that at the time. Dozens of public health experts agreed. Jennifer Nuzo, a Johns Hopkins epidemiologist, wrote that, quote, In this moment, the public health risks of not protesting to demand an end to systemic racism greatly exceed the harms of the virus. Abrar Karan, a physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital, wrote, While I have voiced concerns that protests risk creating more outbreaks, the status quo wasn't going to stop COVID-19 either. Americans remember all of this. They remember when the Biden administration nationalized all of uh, America's rental properties in the name of public health. They remember the demands that we wear cloth masks in airplanes and that our children wear masks for eight hours in school every day, even after everyone admitted that cloth masks don't do anything. And it's precisely because Americans remember all of this that they won't want Peter Hotez going anywhere near an actual debate. He can go on MSNBC where it's safe. On MSNBC, he can talk about uh, how protesting lockdowns is bad while protesting the police is good. No one's going to challenge him there. What's important to recognize is that Peter Hotez is a symptom of much larger institutional rot, which is now being reinforced by virtually every major medical school in this country. Last year, Wake Forest defended a uh, medical student who admitted to stabbing a patient for mocking her pronoun pen. They didn't expel her. In fact, she's going to graduate soon. And Wake Forest is not the exception. Here's what medical school looks and sounds like these days. Listen to this.
3: We enter the profession of medicine with appreciation for the opportunity to build on the scientific and humanistic achievements of the past. We also recognize the acts and systems of oppression affected in the name of medicine. We take this oath of service to begin building a future grounded in truth, restoration, and equity to fulfill medicine's capacity to liberate. I promise to take care of my future patients by engaging in dialogue, listening to their lived experience, and tailoring my recommendations to their unique circumstances. I acknowledge the past and present failures of medicine to abide by its obligation to do no harm and affirm the need to address systemic issues in the institutions I uphold. I promise to critically examine the systems and experiences that impact every person's health and ability to receive care.
0: It's medical school for you. Makes you feel uh, very good if you're going into surgery, you know, this week or something. Doctors are taking these Maoist oaths because they now believe ideology is more important than patient care. Every day they abandon another scientific principle on the altar of wokeism, no matter what effect it has on the patients. Here's the latest example. Now the American Medical Association is telling doctors that body mass index or BMI is a racist concept. You know, it's, it's racist to to tell people about BMI or tell them to keep their BMI down. That's going to cause a lot of deaths from diseases like hypertension and diabetes, but they don't care. Again, the public isn't stupid. People have noticed all this. It's why they don't trust the medical field anymore. It's why they don't trust the justice system. It's why they don't trust academia, the media, the government. Trust in our fundamental institutions has never been lower. And it's all the fault, not of conspiracy theorists, but of the actual actions of these institutions themselves. If civilization starts coming apart at the seams, it's not going to be because of alleged conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones or whoever. It'll be because of the people and institutions that made the conspiracy theorists right about nearly everything. Now let's get to our five headlines. <laughs> Congress once again allowed itself to be pushed into appeasing the administration and raising the debt ceiling for the 79th time, paving the way for continued reckless spending and further devaluation of the dollar. As our national debt continues to skyrocket, how are you protecting your savings? Times like these are a great reminder to diversify a portion of your savings into gold, and you can do that with the help of Birch Gold. They're who I buy my gold from, so so do thousands of other concerned savers Uh, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. You don't pay a penny out of pocket. It's very easy to do. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does a dollar have? Ask yourself that. Well, you can protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Text Walsh to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold today. Again, text Walsh to 989898. Okay, we'll start with uh, some... Unfortunate news, some bad news from Daily Wire. A federal judge struck down an um, Arkansas a ban on sex change surgeries and treatments for minors as unconstitutional on Tuesday. U.S. District Judge Jay Moody issued the ruling permanently blocking the law, which would have forbidden doctors from providing hormones, puberty blockers, and sex change surgeries for minors after temporarily blocking it in 2021. Uh, quote, this is from the Obama appointed judge. He wrote in his opinion, Rather than protecting children or safeguarding medical ethics, the evidence showed that the prohibited medical care improves the mental health and well-being of patients and that by prohibiting it, the state undermined the interests it claims to be advancing. Moody's scientific claim uh, stands in sharp contrast to many medical journals that warn of the dangers of such treatments and provide little evidence of benefits to minors, as was highlighted in a recent hearing in the House Subcommittee on Health. Um, But this is what Moody is arguing. He says that... uh, He just asserts that this, quote unquote, medical care improves the mental health and well-being of patients. There is, it's not that there's little evidence to support that. There is no evidence to support that. The evidence does not exist. He's inventing this. Um, Another activist judge who comes in to save the day for the trans activists yet again. And this is what the trans activists need. They need the judges to step in. They need to be bailed out by the courts over and over again because they're losing. Otherwise, they're losing in the state legislature, state legislatures. They're losing in the court of public opinion. Okay, they're losing in the culture because people are waking up to the insanity of all of this. So they're losing everywhere and then they can turn to the courts. And what that means is that ultimately this is going to end up in the Supreme Court. Um, And it's a question of, uh, now it's become a question of the Constitution, of interpreting the Constitution. This activist judge said it's a constitutional right. Of course, the question is always is, whose constitutional right is it? Is it, it's the constitutional right of a child to be sterilized without his consent? Because a child cannot consent? Well, that doesn't make any sense. So whose constitutional right is it? I mean, what he's actually asserting, once again, is that it's, it's the constitutional right of the butchers. They're the ones who are doing the thing. So what he's really saying is that doctors have a constitutional right to sterilize and castrate children for profit. That's what he's actually saying. And that is a claim that, um, of course, does not stand up to scrutiny. And I don't think it's going to stand up in the Supreme Court either, which, again, is where this is inevitably headed. Um, and that's, that's a point that I want trans activists to to hear and to understand. Like, if you're a trans activist, I want you to to hear this. I I know you like to gloat every time a a degenerate activist judge bails you out, because again, that's all you have. You cannot win anywhere, um, that you cannot win in any forum where there's actual debate and evidence is presented, you cannot win there. So you just need a judge, you need a your, your hero in a cloak, in a black robe to come along and say, Yep, yeah, never mind, forget all that. You can't win anywhere else. That's all you have. You have judges, and then you have big tech platforms stopping people from talking. If people are allowed to simply talk about this openly and honestly, you lose and you know it and that's why in the end like ultimately you will lose this is this is it's not sustainable for you you will lose in court ultimately you will lose in the state houses you'll lose everywhere and you'll lose everything your position the claims that you are making are indefensible they are insane they're totally laughably absurd deranged Morally and intellectually. Like everything you believe and claim, it's all grotesque and stupid and crazy. Everything about your worldview and your view of yourself is wrong and demented and doomed to failure. History will look back on you uh, with, with with disgust and disbelief. Like everything you're doing and saying right now, it's so crazy and stupid that people won't even be able to believe that this was real. There's going to be a debate in the future about whether any of this even happened. Okay, there are going to be people 100 years from now who say that, that didn't happen. What do you mean? In the early 21st century, people thought that men could have babies and they were castrating little boys to turn them into girls. I don't, that didn't even happen. That's an actual point of view that will exist in the future. Like, what you're defending is so crazy that people in the future won't even believe it happened. And as for you personally, you will die, uh, as we all will, but you'll be forgotten. Um, You'll leave behind no bloodline, no legacy, no one who loves or cares about you. You'll be forgotten. Uh, The movement that you are a part of, though, Will be remembered. It'll be remembered as as one of the most insane and disgraceful chapters in the history of human existence. And you should really know that. I want you to know that generations of people forever. I mean, the ones who who can even bring themselves to believe that you that you that any of this ever happened. They will be laughing at you. Like for thousands of years, people will be laughing at you. And I think that you know that deep down, you know that. Because you know it's all a lie. Everything you say, everything you whisper to yourself in the mirror in the morning, you know it's all a lie. I know you know it's all a lie, and that's that's why you're so desperate to stop people from saying what I'm saying right now. If you had any confidence in your beliefs whatsoever, you wouldn't be going to every platform in existence and say, stop him from saying this. You can't stand to hear it because you know it's true. So that's where this is headed for you. But in the meantime, congratulations, you got your one little temporary victory there. Related story here uh, that I wanted to play, CBS ran a puff piece about um, an abusive mother who transed her young son. And let's watch a little bit of this.
1: Meet Ava, an exuberant, happy nine-year-old.
4: My turn.
1: Perhaps it's a bit mind-bending to learn that she was born, by all appearances, a boy. Even before she could talk, she gravitated towards all the girly toys and colors, and um, when she could talk, she would would say, like, I wish I was a girl. Her parents admit it was hard to process, their then-son begging in tears to wear a dress.
0: I feel like I'm an open-minded person, but when it's like your son, you know, asking you to do this, you know, and I think I, I wasn't thinking about her feelings at the, at the time, I was just thinking about how are people going to react to You were it.
1: afraid, a little bit afraid for her.
0: Yeah, was, yeah, and I still am afraid for her.
1: But the North Carolina family who asked that we not use their name has learned to embrace a change they never saw coming. You know, if we continued to say no, mm-hmm. you have to live as a boy, she would continue you know she's young i'm am sure she would have done it but like we didn't want to be her first bully we wanted to support her you like fashion yes what do you like about it
4: just the way you can express yourself with it and how creative you can be with it
1: and so ava became ava in the second grade yes yeah. she had to walk into her classroom and identify that, you know, she had a new name and pronouns, and she was so excited, it was like Christmas. Your mom told me a really interesting story about when you were in the second grade, and you introduced your friends to Ava. How was that?
4: It went well, they didn't treat me any different.
1: So now, are you who you think you should be?
4: Yeah,
1: 100%. 100%, and that would be Ava? (laughs)
0: Okay, a few things here. First of all, this boy is clearly not nearly as excited about his false female identity as his parents are, uh, and as that weirdo journalist is. Remember what I always say, you know, when it comes to these these very young, quote-unquote, trans kids, every story is exactly the same. I mean, you could swap this out with a hundred other puff pieces about other, quote-unquote, trans kids, and you wouldn't notice a difference. It's the same story over and over again. You have the helpless, innocent kid who's led down this path, forced into an identity crisis. We're told that he chose it, but he chose it when he was a toddler, uh, babbling about how he's the opposite sex. He was a very young child saying incoherent and meaningless things, as all young children do. And his parents uh, seized on that and used it as an excuse to to turn him into this. And then you have the parents, you have the father, who's either, you know, it's always the same, the father's either physically absent or physically present but absent in every other respect. And so here you have a physically present father who's like barely barely even exists. He's this meek, cowering shell of a man practically collapsing in on himself in front of us, sitting there stammering, barely speaking above a whisper, this spineless sack of jelly, his wife literally telling him how he feels. You were scared, honey. You were scared. Yes, I was. I was scared. Yes, that's how I felt. How else do I feel? And then the mom who's really orchestrating all of this, as always, the mom who hates men, hates boys. So she turned her son into a girl. The uh, Munchausen mommy who projects her mental sickness onto her kid, doing it on the flimsiest basis, the same basis that they always have. He wore pink. He played with Barbies. She is ruthlessly enforcing the most rigid gender stereotypes by insisting that any boy who defies the stereotype must really be a girl. She forces her son into a female identity because the notion that he might be a boy with more stereotypically feminine interests is apparently unthinkable to her. She can't even imagine. It's impossible. Not that you could even call playing with dolls or, you know, uh, whatever, wearing pink uh, you couldn't even call that a feminine interest for a four-year-old. It's not any kind of interest at all, feminine or masculine. It's just, it's a four-year-old being a four-year-old, being curious, being silly, being confused, whatever. It has no deeper significance than that. 98% of everything a four-year-old says has no deeper significance. Like, they, it's like does, it barely means anything. Kids that age will frequently insist that they want to do things that they don't even really want to do. My daughter, who's three and a half, uh, you know, she, she'll, she'll go, Daddy, I want to play outside. And then I'll say, okay, let's go outside. As soon as we get outside, I don't want to play outside. I want to go inside. It's like that kind of thing. Over, that's, that's a three or four-year-old over and over again. That's your life, right? Raising a three or four-year-old. Um, it's that over and over and over again. And yet that confusion is taken and exploited. And that's the story uh, that we see. And it's always the same story. And it's always tragic. Speaking of tragedies, Daily Wire has this. As time runs out for the passengers on the Titan submersible that went looking deep into the sea for the wreckage of the Titanic, a last-ditch effort involving heavy machinery and submarines arrived in uh, Newfoundland on Tuesday night. Three C-17 aircraft from the U.S. Air Force reportedly landed at a cargo terminal in St. John's carrying unmanned vehicles capable of going 19,000 feet underwater, as well as two heavy-duty Hyundai uh, winches emblazoned Um, a a huge roll of cable and two large machines that set high voltage on their sides, according to Daily Mail. A forklift truck loaded the equipment onto six flatbed trucks. The equipment was taken to a port where a ship dubbed the Horizon Arctic was scheduled to leave at midnight, although the journey to the area where the Titan is submerged would take 15 hours. Uh, The Titan may be as deep as 12,000 feet below the surface, and uh, and it's uh, sitting down there as far as we know on the surface maybe not far from the the wreck of the Titanic late Tuesday night banging sounds were reported coming in 30 minute intervals near where the Titan went missing with its passengers um, and if you've been following the story then you know you already know what led up to this you have this company ocean gate where they, uh, they this submersible uh, very very small submersible about the size of a minivan that goes down to uh, survey the wreckage of the Titanic which is like 12,500 feet below the surface. And uh, they went down several days ago and lost touch uh, with the people on the surface in about an hour and a half into the, into the uh, plunge, and they haven't been heard from yet. Um, and uh, this article continues. Another concern regarding the passengers comes from the fact that a 2022 report by CBS correspondent David Pogue said the Titan's hatch is sealed by an external crew with 17 bolts, so they cannot open the hatch from the inside. Well, that's one. I, you know, I don't understand why people are making a big deal about that fact. There are a lot of interesting facts about the submersible. And one of the things that people are talking about is that, um, well, it's sealed from the outside, so they can't get out. They can't open it. I don't really understand why that's relevant here, because they're at the bottom of the ocean, so it's not like opening the hatch would be an option anyway. Um but either way, I find this whole story fascinating. I mean, just, just thinking about the depths of the ocean, a place where almost no human being has ever been, a place we know very little about. Uh, we know more about the surface of Mars than we do about the ocean floor. And then to think that there are people potentially trapped, I say potentially because it's possible the thing imploded on the way down and they're all dead now, but the, the idea that there are potentially human beings living and trapped down there um, is, it's like, it's viscerally terrifying. It plays on every major human fear simultaneously. And it's also, it's also fascinating. Um, and it's also been depressing at the same time to see the reaction from the public to all of this. At least on social media. Where people have just been like outwardly contemptuous, scornful, openly hating these guys who are on the submarine. Laughing at their demise uh, or their impending demise. And it's, it's, really, it's really bizarre to me. What did these people do to you? What, what do you have against them? I'm just seeing this, these reactions from people on social media, even people that I know uh, who I, you know, at least I'm familiar with and I have respect for, and seeing the way they're reacting to it. Wh- what exactly do you have against them? What did they do to you? Why are you happy that they're going to die? Potentially like one of the most horrific and nightmarish deaths imaginable. Now, sure, we've all seen videos by now of the guy who owns the submersible talking about uh, the corners that they cut and making it. You've probably seen this video, but let's play it again.
1: An experimental
0: submersible vessel that has not been approved or certified by any regulatory body and could result in physical injury, disability, emotional trauma, or death. Where do I sign? oh Take your shoes off, that's customary. Okay. Yeah. okay. Wow. That's Inside, the sub has about as much room as a minivan. So this is not
2: your grandfather's submersible. (laughs) We only have one button, that's it. It should be like an elevator. You know, it shouldn't take a lot of skill. The Titan is the only five-person sub in the world that can reach titanic depths, 2.4 miles below the sea. It's also the only one with a toilet, sort of. And yet I couldn't help noticing how many pieces of this sub seemed improvised. We can use these off-the-shelf components. I got these from uh, Camper World. We run the whole thing with this game controller.
0: <laughs> Come on! Okay, so these people got into that tiny metal can piloted with an Xbox controller, and they went 12,000 feet under the sea to the wreckage of the Titanic, down at a depth where almost no other human being has ever physically been. And, um, and for this reason, people on social media, the peanut gallery, seem to hate them. They're openly laughing at their misfortune, especially because... Uh, the people in the submersible are rich. You know, these are rich. There's a couple of billionaires down there. And I've seen a lot of that on the Internet. Ah, stupid rich people. I'm glad they're all going to drown. But I just don't get this reaction. I have to tell you, I don't, I don't understand it. It doesn't resonate with me. Um, I go very much the other way. I instinctively have a lot of respect for people who do daring, dangerous, even arguably suicidal things for the sake of exploration and discovery. I respect that. I wouldn't do it myself but i respect it the world needs people like that and don't don't tell me that oh it's not exploration it's just rich people on vacation stop that okay they're going to a place where where almost no other human being has ever been they're going to the bottom of the freaking ocean you idiot yes that's exploration the ocean is a is a mystery the ocean is an unfathomable mystery that's what you have to understand the, the vast majority something like 80% of the ocean is is unknown unmapped uh the deepest depths of the ocean, especially, are unknown. The very deepest depth, uh, the Challenger Deep, as it's called, um, has only been visited by three human beings ever in history. The Titanic is not at the deepest depths, but it is two and a half miles down, where very few people have ever gone. The wreck itself has been visited by two, uh, fewer than two hundred and fifty people, um, which is which is a very small number of people in the, in, in you know in history. Like, you have never done anything in your life that only 250 people have done. You've never done. You have never been anywhere that only 250 people have been to. Never in your life, and you never will. Everywhere you've ever been in your life, every part of the globe that you have traversed has been visited and seen by millions of people. Okay, every time you go on vacation— No matter where you're going, you're going to a place that millions of people have been here and know all about, and they've taken pictures, and it's on Facebook and everything. Um, So, you have no idea what it's like to go to a place where, in the entire history of humanity, the total number of visitors could fit into a small auditorium. That is exploration. And and I respect that. And especially these, I I think, because people, you know, you could ask, uh, what would drive someone? Like, why would you want to do that in the first place? there's a couple answers to that. Some, one of the answers is that in history there have always been people like this, and we need people like this. We need people with lots of money who are eccentric and willing to do crazy things like this. The age of discovery and exploration in, in, in history was was fueled by by people like this. The world would be a much smaller place without them. Um, so some of that, some people are just like, this is this is how they're wired. And then I also think because we live in a world where most of the surface area, at least the places where people tend to go, are known, and, and you know, everywhere you go, millions of people have already been there, and there's not a, a lot left to discover on the surface of the earth anyway. Because we live in that world, I think some people just, they can't live with that, and they, they need to go somewhere where other people haven't been. And again, I even if you don't share that desire, I would think you have to respect it at least. Would I ever do it? Would I go into that? Would I sit in that death trap and descend into the darkest depths of the ocean? Hell no, I would not. Okay? But I respect people who are willing to do those things, especially do things that I'm too afraid to do. And uh, I would think that we all respect that, but apparently we don't. And, I, and, and that's a sign of cultural sickness. It really is. Like, this is actually kind of a good litmus test. When you see people doing uh, daring, crazy things, and it goes horribly wrong, and you hate them. You, know, you hate them. That, and, and, and when that becomes the cultural attitude, that, that's a sign that we are sick, that we are a sick culture. Um, there's my uh, lecture in compassion. You don't get that very often on this show, but here you'll get it anyway. Uh, one other quick thing, this is from Daily Wire. President Joe Biden's monkeypox advisor uh, appeared to defend risky sexual behavior, w- waving it off as simply someone's idea of a fun Friday night during a Sunday appearance on MSNBC. Uh, Dr. Dimitri Deskalakis is a physician and gay activist who specializes in the prevention of HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. The word specializes doing a lot of work there. Uh, I'm not sure how great he is at preventing any of that stuff. But anyway, he was on MSNBC, and uh, here's what he said.
2: I I work in HIV normally, and I'll tell you that, you know, I I always say that I've never made an HIV diagnosis in someone that hasn't somehow related to stigma. I think MPOX is the same. So really um, uh, stigma tends to be a barrier to testing, a barrier to vaccination. And so, you know, really addressing stigma intentionally and making sure that we get the word out in a way that supports people's joy, as opposed to, you know, calling them risky. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, one of the things to think about is that, you know, One person's idea of risk is another person's idea of a great festival or Friday night, for that matter. So we have to sort of embrace that with joy and make sure that folks know how to keep themselves safe.
0: Joy. we got to support people's joy, he says. Yes, because when I think of AIDS and monkeypox, the first thing that comes to mind is joy. Very joyful. But he doesn't want to talk about risky sexual behavior because that might stigmatize the dreaded stigma. And you know this is, this is kind of a good, uh, inter- interesting segue anyway because we just talked about about risk and risky behavior, like getting into a submersible uh, and, and and plunging two and a half miles into the ocean, um, and and that's admirable risk. Okay, the risk of exploration. In my thinking, anyway, is is admirable. I admire that. But then there's there's also shameful risk. Okay, there's risk that actually should be stigmatized. And that's the risk that he's talking about. Even though he says that that's the risk we should admire. Well, it's just fun. It's a fun time. No, this is the risk that comes from from not being able to control your sexual impulses. This is the risk risk that comes from being um, a weak, degenerate, um, almost animalistic sort of person who, who cannot control yourself. That's what he's saying. He is openly defending, quote-unquote, risky sexual behavior. And that's what we mean when we talk about risky sexual behavior. It means sexual behavior where you're knowingly putting uh, yourself at risk and putting the other person at risk. Um, So that's risk also, but that is not the admirable kind of risk. That is the risk that should be stigmatized. If if for the sake of um, getting your sexual thrills, you're willing to put yourself in physical danger and put someone else in physical danger, that should be stigmatized. That is disgraceful and disgusting. So we have it. But we, so we, we that is the kind of risk now in our culture that we celebrate while stigmatizing the risk uh, taken by explorers and discoverers. We have it exactly backwards as always. Let's get to the comment section.
2: Who makes Twitter mob fly? Rage. Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang.
0: picture the perfect summer night the warm summer breeze on your face as you lounge in your favorite chair outside the grill sizzling with juicy burgers the aroma of the food is irresistible your mouth waters as you wait for it to be cooked to perfection now imagine what this perfect summer night would look like if you went to turn on the grill and your propane tank was empty That's where my friends at Cinch come in, and they can save the day for you. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule. does not require any long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home. You can track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. Whether you're grilling for the Sweet Baby Gang, camping with your family, or lighting up your fire pit on a cold summer night, whatever it is, Cinch's propane delivery service ensures you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment in every summer night. Go online to cinch.com or download their app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just $10 with promo code Walsh. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com, promo code Walsh. This is a limited time offer, and you must live within a cinch service area to redeem it. Visit cinch.com offer for details. If you can remember, uh, remember back uh, to ancient history of this past Friday, our last show uh, before today, We reveal the internal documents at Fox that show how leftism is, uh, in its most extreme forms, is pushed on the employees at the highest level of the company. And so we have some comments about that. Uh, Patton for President says, you're witnessing a slow transition between Fox and CNN. They're switching sides. CNN needs ratings. Fox is rich. They'll work something out so CNN can stay alive. Conservatives are still without proper media representation. Well, you're definitely right about that last point, Uh, at least in the corporate mainstream media. uh, If you're a conservative, there is there's no voice representing you um, in that corporate legacy media world. Uh, As far as CNN and Fox switching sides, I wouldn't say they're switching sides at all. They're just they're on the same side. It's not like CNN is going conservative and Fox. It's that's not what's happening. Um, It's everybody going to the left. That has been, that's been the the way the tide has been taking all of corporate media, Fox very much included. Um, another comment says, I know some elderly people who only watch Fox because it's conservative and it's on cable TV and makes great background noise. They aren't tech savvy, nor do they have energy to watch on Twitter. I'd feel bad trying to convince them Fox is bad, but they're too old. What's your advice? Well, I think we should be telling the truth to everybody. And, uh, there's no such thing as being too old to understand the truth. Um, it is what you said about background noise is very much the case. And I've seen this myself. I think, you know, anybody with like a conservative uh, elderly family member, whether it's a grandparent or a parent, um, it, this is something that we've all seen, you know, in, in homes of just Fox So Fox historically has gotten a lot of ratings. But what you understand is that a lot of that is just. TV is put on, and it's just on. It's background noise. Um, and it's on all the time. That's what a lot of those ratings are. Um, which is also why there isn't the same kind of influence that comes with it. You know, great ratings on Fox, but yeah, a lot of those ratings, like that's, that, that's someone who's 78 years old and just has the TV on as company. Uh, but no matter how old somebody is, I think that they should be. Yeah, they should absolutely be told the truth. And if you have an elderly family member who loves watching Fox, well, they can make their own decision. But they should at least know and that. That is one of the. That's the saving grace for Fox right now is that we have revealed um, that Fox at the corporate level, at the highest levels, this is a this is a company that pushes woke wokeism just as bad as any of the other companies do, any of the other media companies do, uh, in that in that world. But the saving grace for Fox is that many of Fox's most loyal loyal viewers—they're not on the internet, they're not on Twitter, they're not on social media, they're not watching me—and so they're not going to hear about this. Which is why we, you, yes, you should be telling them. Tell them that yeah, you you think that this—you know—this is a place that you can trust. You can trust these people, uh, but here's what here's what's really happening behind the scenes. I think you should tell them that definitely. Uh, Kentucky Ranger says, I thought CNN was bad. Fox just took the clear lead. Yeah, well, Fox, you're right. Fox is actually worse. Uh, Fox is worse than CNN because there is that element of betrayal. At least with CNN, you you know what you're getting. Everybody who watches CNN, MSNBC, you know, really MSNBC is the least objectionable to me because they don't even really pretend to be uh, unbiased or impartial or anything like that. I mean, sure, if you ask them, they'll, they'll say that this is objective, truthful reporting. But, but really, they don't, they don't make much of an attempt to pretend. So you know exactly what you're getting when you watch M- uh, MSNBC. Similar thing with CNN. Um, with Fox, it's just as left-wing, it's just as woke. But there's that element of dishonesty and betrayal that comes with it as well. Uh, and this one is not about Fox, but another topic we talked about last week. Interesting take in regards to not always explaining yourself to your children. My mom definitely didn't, and I know how annoying it was for me, who was trying to understand her reasoning, even if I listened regardless. I just wanted to understand her or a boss's orders. Yeah, this is why I think you, as a parent, there's this issue of, um, well, saying to your kid, because I told you so. You know. And there's, there are some parents who say you should never say that to a kid. You should never say, because I told you so. Like, we all grew up hearing that from our parents. It's very traumatizing. You shouldn't say that. If a child's asking why, you should try to explain it to them. Um, there, there's that kind of school of thought. And there are the parents that give that answer for everything. And, uh, you know, as is often the case with these sorts of things, uh, the truth is um, is is kind of neither of those. Uh, I think that, yeah, if, you're, if your child... It's kind of a common sense thing. If your child is asked, if you tell your child something and they're asking why you're telling them that, and it's a sincere question because they want to understand, then of course, you're going to try to explain it to them. You tell them not to run in the street. And if they ask you why, you're going to say, well, because there's cars in the street and you could get hit and you want them to understand why it's good that they're asking why because they're inquisitive and you also want them to understand the why if you can. But then what kids will do is they'll, they'll keep asking why, even when they know the answer. Um, or if after you explain why they're not willing to accept the answer and they keep asking why, and then it becomes more an act of defiance on their part. And we know that because we were all kids once and we played this game too. And at that point, that's when it's important to say, "Because I told you so." It's like, okay, I've explained why. You you don't accept that, but that's the answer, and uh, and this is it now because I said so. So it's it's also important for kids to hear that sometimes as well because they have to be they have to respect your authority, even if they don't agree with it or fully understand why you're saying that. So you tell them not to run in the street. You can explain why, but if they choose to, you know, if that, if that, if that answer doesn't resonate with them or they still don't understand well, still don't go in the street, you have to trust that I have your best interests in mind. And, uh, even if you don't understand you you have to have that kind of relationship with your kids. If you don't, then it all kind of breaks down. Companies are strong-arming their customers to support abortion, canceling customers for their political views, and making a mockery of women by supporting transgender models. No government agency, institution, or company is allowed to just be what it is and focus on fulfilling the tasks that it was made to fulfill. A beer company can't just make beer anymore. Their primary concern is not with brewing and distributing beer, but with showing their support of the left's political and cultural agenda. That's why we need Public Square, which offers a new solution. Public Square is an app and a website where you can get uh, connected to tens of thousands of businesses from all different industries that share your value for life, family, and freedom. Public Square also offers discounts to many high-quality businesses on the platform, so you can actually have an incentive to spend money with companies that don't hate you. Imagine that. Whether you're looking for a new athletic clothing that knows what a woman is, a banking partner that you can count on, or simply a new restaurant in your area that won't lecture you about your political views as you're trying to enjoy a meal with your family, head over to publicsq.com. Public Square is free to join as a consumer uh, or a business uh, owner. You can get started at publicsq.com or download their app today. That's publicsq.com. Also, as you may know, we've been in an ongoing battle with some of the biggest social media platforms out there. Last month, I was demonetized on YouTube, then Candace Owens and Michael Knowles were both suspended for seven days. Not to mention, in the past two weeks, YouTube has struck three of Dr. Jordan B. Peterson's videos from their platform. Now, most of these so-called violations across all channels have stemmed from our coverage of the transgender debate. Being expected to adhere to vague, arbitrary, and constantly changing rules has become, uh, to put it mildly, increasingly frustrating. These rules contradict everything we stand for, and it's become glaringly evident that we cannot rely on many third-party sites to support us. Daily Wire Plus, then, is the best platform for you to find content that is free from big tech's vague guidelines. So if you believe in our work and in fighting for the ability to debate some of the biggest cultural issues facing us today, then now is the time to join. What are you waiting for? Sign up today and you'll get 25% off your Daily Wire Plus membership. Go to dailywireplus.com slash subscribe and join the fight. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our Daily Cancellation, we turn belatedly to a story that unfolded last week, but which uh, must not escape the wrath of the Daily Cancellation. It's just too perfect. The segment was made for cases like this. This is uh, the story of Elizabeth Gilbert, who's the author of the 2006 hit memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, which chronicles her mission to find herself and discover the deeper truths truths of life after her divorce. Now, like any vapid self-absorbed upper middle-class woman, she does this by going on vacation. For whatever reason, lots of other women at the time were deeply interested in reading this lady's uh, travel blog about her experiences as a a tourist in various tropical locations. As we all know, there are generally two kinds of stories that are always sure to be incredibly boring and trite. There are dream stories, because your dreams are never interesting to anyone but you. And then there are stories about cliched epiphanies that you had while on vacation. Um, And those are never interesting either, because no, your vacation was not life-changing. You were you you when you left for vacation, and you were you the whole time you were on vacation, and you return as you, the same person that you were before, unfortunately. Your Jamaican cruise isn't going to change that. As it happens, shallow liberal women are especially inclined to tell both types of stories, and this was a book devoted to one of them. She probably also talked about her dreams in the book, though I can't say for sure. But now, somehow, nearly 20 years later, Elizabeth Gilbert is the author of something even more embarrassing than Eat, Pray, Love. This new work may be called Eat, Pray, Cower Like a Scared Puppy. Because indeed, Gilbert is now responsible for what might be the most pathetic and humiliating surrender of all time. I and mean, she makes France in World War II look stalwart by comparison. This is truly one for the record books. And I say this only a couple of weeks after Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass groveled to the LGBT cult, like we talked about, begging their forgiveness for committing the crime of thinking for himself. And then a few days later, he was cut from the team anyway. And that was humiliating. That was disgraceful. That was an absolute masterclass in self-flagellation. Anthony Bass has a PhD in beclowning himself. But it still pales in comparison to this. Two weeks ago, Elizabeth Gilbert excitedly announced her new book. Now, surprisingly, it's not another memoir detailing her weekend trip to Myrtle Beach and all the deep insights into the mysteries of the universe that she picked up along the way. Instead, this is a novel set in the mid-20th century in Siberia. And it centers around a group of people who resisted the Soviet government. And she says, try to defend nature against industrialization, whatever that means. It's called the Snow Forest because it takes place in a forest in the snow. That's how she came up with the title. Gilbert has never been known for creative titles. Um, As for whatever else might happen in the book, I will personally never find out because I would never read an Elizabeth Gilbert book. And second, um, nobody will find out because nobody will read this particular book. She has retracted it. She has retracted the entire book, pulled it from publication. And she's done this because some people were offended that the novel is set in Russia. They are offended that her fiction novel about mid-20th century freedom fighters in Siberia takes place in Russia, and she is responding to these complaints by junking the book that she had spent the last many months writing. Here she is uh, explaining that decision. Listen.
4: Hi, everybody. It's Liz, and I have an announcement to make. So last week, I announced the um, upcoming publication of my most recent novel, a book called The Snow Forest, that was set in the middle of Siberia in the middle of the last century and told the story of a group of individuals who made a decision to remove themselves from society to resist the Soviet government and to try to defend nature against industrialization. But over the course of this weekend, I have received an enormous massive outpouring of reactions and responses from my Ukrainian readers expressing anger, sorrow, disappointment, and pain about the fact that I would choose to release a book into the world right now, any book, no matter what the subject of it is, that is set in Russia. And I want to say that I have heard these messages and read these messages and I respect them. And as a result, I'm making a course correction and I'm removing the book from its publication schedule. It is not the time for this book to be published. And um, I do not want to add any harm to a group of people who have already experienced and who are all continuing to experience grievous and extreme harm. Um, So that is the choice that I have made. And I've got other book projects that I'm working on, and I've made a decision to turn my attention to working on those now. So I just wanted to let everybody know that, and thank you very much.
0: She has other book projects she's working on, she says. Hopefully before completing those other books, she will uh, gather together a group of gay, trans, disabled, polysexual, queer, lesbian Ukrainians and get clearance for every character, theme, plot point, uh, setting in the book. She must make sure that it all passes muster, especially with the poor folks of Ukraine who were told are in a war for their very existence and yet still have the time and energy to get offended by a book from the Eat, Pray, Love Woman. Offended because it simply is set in Russia, which is the, the possibly the dumbest reason that anyone has ever been offended by anything. Not just offended, she says, they are burdened. The book is a burden to them somehow. It is a cross that they must carry. Now, Gilbert does the familiar song and dance here. She says that the motivations and intentions of the person causing offense, her in this case, don't matter. Context doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, she wasn't trying to offend her Ukrainian readers, who are apparently the most fragile and shallow people to ever walk the earth. Uh, She wasn't trying to paint Russia in a good light, God forbid. She's well aware that she's supposed to hate the whole country and anyone who's ever lived there. She's aware that being Russian is a character flaw these days. But this book doesn't contradict that bigotry. In fact, the Russian government, the Soviet government, are rightly the bad guys in this book. Given that it takes place during the uh, Soviet Union era. And yet the very mention of the country was too much to bear. There is no coherent, coherent reason for the mob to be offended, but they are. Her actions became offensive the moment the mob decided that they were going to be offended. And their emotions must not be questioned. Their demand... Their demands must not be scrutinized. She must simply bow to them unthinkingly and in fear. This is always how it works with the outrage mob. They are the authorities on your own actions. They get to decide what you were thinking, what you intended. They get to make totally arbitrary rules governing both your thoughts and your actions. And this week, they decided to make the rule that uh, you aren't allowed to write a book set in Russia. No matter the actual subject or point of the book. This kind of arbitrary rulemaking, by the way, is destroying the book publishing industry uh, in this country, uh, just as it's destroying the film industry. Speaking of which, just in the last few weeks, we've seen two big-budget films from major movie studios fall on their faces at the box office. The Pixar film Elemental and the superhero movie The Flash were both duds, despite the fact that Pixar films and superhero films as a category were once surefire successes. And there are a lot of reasons why people don't care about these movies anymore. Partly, it's pure exhaustion from the same stories and themes being recycled a million times. Partly, it's the wokeness. That Pixar film had the first non quote-unquote non-binary character in the Pixar universe. Partly, it's the fact that the actual quality of these films, from the acting to the writing, even to the special effects, has declined tremendously. I saw one scene from The Flash that looked like a PlayStation game in 2002. But underlying all of these problems is the basic fact that movies aren't allowed to just tell a story anymore. The same goes for books. If you tell a story through whatever medium, you are presenting a certain point of view and a certain world that you have created with characters that have certain uh, personality traits and, and do certain things and say certain things. And this all requires you to make choices as a storyteller. It means that you're choosing to tell the story one way and not another. And you're putting forward one point of view instead of another. And you have these characters uh, doing this instead of uh, different characters doing something else. And all of these choices are sure to offend one interest group or another. There's always going to be some group left out or underrepresented or represented in a way that they find offensive or traumatic, et cetera, and so forth. The nitpicking, the offense-taking, the pathological persecution complex that, that so many people carry around every day, all of this has made storytelling impossible. It has killed stories and created the first society in human history with no story to tell. Of course, there is a way around this. There is a solution. All of these rules and demands from the outraged masses, they don't have to mean anything. They don't have to carry any weight. You do have the option of simply ignoring all of this. When they decree a new rule that they invented in their imaginations this morning, you can always respond by telling them to piss off and then continuing to proceed to do whatever it is that you were going to do anyway. When they say that they're burdened and they're hurt and deeply wounded and traumatized by some innocuous thing or statement or plot theme or storytelling choice, you do have the option of laughing in their pathetic, manipulative faces. Gilbert could have doubled down and issued a statement announcing that she'll now be writing a whole series of books set in Russia and Putin will be the hero just to spite all of these weepy little clowns. But if she didn't want to commit to a new series of books simply out of spite, which I guess would be understandable, then she could have at least told them all to kiss her ass in so many words. That was an option. It's always an option when facing the outrage mob. The middle finger option, we might call it. The option we should all be choosing when confronted by these people. Certainly the only option that will rescue the film industry and the book publishing industry from annihilation But Gilbert didn't choose that option. She decided to debase herself and throw out her own work, months of effort, to appease a bunch of dumb, soulless crybabies. She chose not to offend, even though offending these people is not only okay, but a virtue. It is the virtuous path. She chose the unvirtuous path. And for that reason, Elizabeth Gilbert is today canceled. That'll do it for this portion of shows and move over to the members block. You become a member today by using code WALSH to check out for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you uh, tomorrow. Godspeed.